0: just do it. Remember that one? Here's one. Bet you can't eat just one. That's good for this time of year, isn't it? Yeah. Years ago, this was popular. The bigger the burger, the better the burger. The burgers are bigger at Burger King. Yeah. Takes two hands to handle a Whopper or two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. You know, at this time of year, there are certain catchphrases that encourage us to do what the advertisers want us to do, to visit their website or their store and buy their products. For the past past months and almost a year, we have been uh, overwhelmed with the repeated announcements and the repeated commercials about the recent election in our country— you know, everywhere you look or listen, you know, get out and vote for this person because, or don't vote for this person because, or vote for these, pass these amendments because, or don't pass these amendments uh, because you're really voting for this. Yada, yada, yada. On and on it goes. Well, today we're going to look at a psalm that has phrases that direct us not to people or things of this world, but to the one and only true, holy, righteous, loving, glorious God of the universe. This psalm is what we call a great hallel, or in English that would be the great praise, which is the singing as a part of observance during the Jewish Passover or the Jewish New Year. This psalm is very unique in that the second part of every verse is the same in all 26 verses. The only, um, it's the same response, for his steadfast love endures forever. The only other psalm that comes close to that is Psalm 118, where the first four verses end with that same phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, how many of you were really getting tired of the election notices, some of which made you want to puke, really? Everybody was, right? Well, I want you to repeat after me. His steadfast, His steadfast love endures forever. Say it again. His steadfast love endures forever. One more time. His steadfast love endures forever. The re- repetition of these words, His steadfast love endures forever, does not make for a tiresome, repeated phrase like those of the world. This phrase shows us that the Lord's steadfast love is to be constantly before us, and his kindness and loyalty and fidelity never fail. So when things go wrong, remember that. His steadfast love endures forever. The Scripture teaches us that it's more important for us to know the Word of God than any other thing, and especially the Old Testament. When we respond to trials and other situations in our lives, we should use biblical language to combat those things. And if we don't know the Bible, we can't do that. If you don't know the Word of God, you won't use it when you really need to. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he use to combat the temptations? He uses the Word of God. What an example for us to follow. Rather than thanking the Lord for everything uh, and His everlasting love, His steadfast love, we would probably fall into the trap of grumbling and complaining and griping with the rest of the world. Oh, you know those trustees. They just can't do anything right. They don't paint the the church the right color. Well, you know what? If you don't like the color, then go talk to the trustees and say, how can I help you get it right? Really? Don't complain. Turn it into a ministry and go help. In a few days, we're going to celebrate what we call Thanksgiving, a time to give thanks to the Lord. Years before the story we know of the pilgrims landing in America, a group of sailors landed on the east coast of America and took a group of Native Americans captive. One of them was named Squanto. These young men were taught English, and later Squanto was again sold into slavery. But this time, a monk bought him and taught him English and also shared with him the love of Jesus Christ. The monk released Squanto as a free man. The monk's love for Jesus prompted them to buy other Indian slaves and to share the uh, Christian faith with them. And eventually Squanto, now a Christian, returned to America. And he went to his old village only to find that, it was le- that everyone was uh, dead. Every- it was full of graves. Uh, a friend of the neighboring tribe came and told him that a white man's sickness had struck the people and all had died. One cold December morning... Squanto was sitting on the coast, somewhere up in New England, looking out over the Atlantic Ocean, no doubt thinking about this God that he came to know. And out in the distance, he sees some more white sails coming his way. The first time that happened, it didn't fare too well for him. So this time, he probably had some some attitude of, of, oh, no, not again. But this time, those that landed on the coast were different They were dressed different. They took um, these people and they built houses where the old Indian village was. Squanto's friend encouraged him to go meet the new people. So Squanto approached the people and introduced himself and his friend in English. This really made an impression on these new people. So in in the, the spring of that following year, Squanto shared with these people where to hunt for the best game and how to find the best berries. And the fall of that year, we saw the settlers spreading a feast of venison and duck and goose and turkeys and shellfish and bread and vegetables and fruits and berries for dessert. The pilgrims prayed for the feast. And from William Bradbury's, uh, Bradford's writings, we hear these words. Thank you, great God, for the bounty you have supplied to us. Thank you for protecting us in hardship and meeting all of our needs. The prayer continued, and thank you for bringing to us the Indian Squanto, your own special instrument to save us from hunger and to help us establish our colony in this new land. Two years later, Squanto became mortally ill with fever. As he lay thinking about his past life, William Bradford came in and he asked him to pray for him. And he said, I want you to pray that I might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. And on November 16, 22, Squanto left this world and entered into the heavenly realm. I tell you this story so we can understand that God has always had a plan for his people and will always be faithful to his promises to them. For God's steadfast love never fails. God still has and has always had a plan for his people, Israel. Just as he had a plan when the pilgrims came to this land, God had a plan when the pilgrims came that they would share the gospel, spread the gospel to this whole land, to this whole new world. And you know, even though America has strayed away from the original teachings, God's steadfast love endures forever. We should never fall into the trap that we give thanks to the Lord only one time a year. While stuffing ourselves with turkey and all the trimmings, giving thanks to our gracious God, she's not seasonal, but she should be perpetual. On the screen, there's a couple of verses. One, Ephesians 5, 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that say? Give thanks sometimes? No. He said give thanks always for some things? No. Everything to God the Father. Another verse that he wrote to another church, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not in the good times, not just in the bad times, but in all circumstances. The psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 136, is appropriate for each and every day of the year. Not just one time of the year. And I want us to concentrate on it today, November 18, 2018, and remember, remember it for the rest of this year and the rest of your days on this earth. As we look at this psalm, we don't know who wrote this psalm. We really don't. And, and, and we have no indicator that explains the actual occasion for why it was written. But we do know that it's a very special form of poetry in the Bible. We do know that it, the repeated phrases at the end of every verse have a great meaning for God's people, it's probably a song used in public worship. We do know that song. The song. This song was sung at Solomon's temple in Second Chronicles. We see where all the people gathered together. God's glory came down, and they sang this song as Solomon had sacrificed twenty-two thousand oxen and one hundred twenty thousand sheep, and they all got together, and they took the music, uh, played music on the instruments to the Lord that King David had made. And they said and sang for his steadfast love endures forever. It was also used by the armies of Jehoshaphat when they sang themselves into victory in the wilderness of Koa. The psalm popular hymn among God's ancient people, and you know today songs with a solid, simple chorus are favorites of God's people today. One of the most beloved. If you look at any list, this is number one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know? We're going to sing in a few minutes. Great is thy faithfulness. How about, uh, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. This psalm is nothing but pure praise, a song of giving thanks to our sovereign God. So as we look at our psalm, the first thing I want you to see is a call to give thanks, verses 1 through 3. A call to give thanks, verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. In these verses, we have three notes of praise to the triune God. The opening verse is identical to the verses of Psalm 106, 107, and 118. The Hebrew word for give thanks means to confess or acknowledge that God is good. Giving thanks to him. In other words, it calls us to a thoughtful, grateful worship by spelling out what we know or have found in God's glorious deeds that he has done for us. The first reason for giving thanks is here in verse 1. He is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Only God, only God is infinitely good. Only God is perfectly good. God's goodness is a measuring stick for everything else. There's a course we sing at times in God in the church today. God is so good. God is so good. As you think about that, when you say those words, sing those words, something else should come to your mind. His steadfast love endures forever. The devil, who is the enemy. Of our soul tries repeatedly to get us to doubt God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's greatness. That's why Peter warns us in the context of suffering to be alert because our adversary, the devil, is seeking to devour us. And during times of trials, you know, Satan comes along said, If your God is so good, why is he letting you suffer like this? Why, is it, why doesn't he deliver you? Peter tells us to resist such temptations. Stand firm in your faith and know that the God of all grace will perfect us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. In verses 2 and 3, there are two names given to God: for God. God of gods and Lord of lords. The psalmist is encouraging us to give thanks to God for his sovereignty. The psalmist then turns and goes back to the the uh, early writings of Moses, the Torah. In Deuteronomy ten seventeen, it says this: "For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe." These names emphasize that God is more powerful and greater than any other so-called God anywhere. The Bible teaches us that to worship any other God is useless. God's greatness is above all other leaders or anyone or anything that has ever existed. The term Lord of Lords is used three times in in the Bible in reference to Jesus Christ. These names affirm the unique power of God and provides insightful truth to the triune God. God the Father is called Lord of Lords in Deuteronomy and in Psalms. In New Testament, writers use the same title to refer to God, the Son, Jesus. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's no other God outside of God whose steadfast love endures forever. The sovereignty of God is truly a reason to give thanks to him. God's predetermined purpose for his people will be carried out without any glitch or delay. His covenant with his chosen people will never fails. Romans 8 teaches us that God's goodness and sovereignty and love mean that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. No trial can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of this... We should give thanks to God for his goodness and sovereignty, which display his everlasting love. John Piper says it this way, we were created for thanksgiving. So we see the call to give thanks. The second thing in verses 4 through 25, the longest part of the psalm, we see the cause for giving thanks. As we look at this cause for giving thanks, we're going to look at different notes of this song. The first note we see is verses 4 through 9. Notes of praise to the Creator. Look at verse 4. To him alone who does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over day, For his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. Notes of praise to the Creator. Verse 4 begins by worshiping God's power and creation. To him who alone does great wonders, it says. The Bible begins, the whole Bible begins with a face-to-face with the Almighty God. In the beginning, God. There's no beat around the bush or anything. It's an in-your-face statement. In the beginning, God. The next verses take us back again to the words of Moses. Verses 4 through 6 remind us of Genesis 1. On the second and third days of creation, God separated dry land from the waters and caused plants to grow. Verses 7 through 9 in our text. Genesis 1, 14 through 19 the fourth day of creation sees the establishment of light, sun for the day, moon and stars for the night. Verse 5 in our text says that God made the heavens with understanding. That's an interesting thing that God did. The, word, the same word is used in Proverbs three nineteen when it says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding. He established the heavens. This is an amazing thing that God has done. If the earth was any closer to the sun, guess what? We'd burn up. Any further away from the sun, all plant and animal life would freeze to death. If the earth was any smaller in size, the density of the atmosphere would be reduced and the thinner air would not be enough to retain heat to sustain life. Bigger, If it was bigger in diameter than it is now, the thicker atmosphere would result in too much heat and would kill all life. We should bow in wonder, and thanks to the almighty creator who made the heavens by his word. Through creation, we see his steadfast love endures forever. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden, the whole of creation is paying the price. For in Romans 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For that can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You have to marvel, marvel at the wisdom, understanding, and the power of our creator when you look at the intricacy and balance and design of creation. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at the the expanse of the universe or the intricacies of a DNA molecule. There's marvelous evidence of a brilliant, powerful creator whose love always endures forever. Paul tells us that the reason God is rejected in Romans 1, he says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. People love their sin more than they love God. They don't want to submit to God as Lord of their life. John Piper says it this way, man has fallen from thanksgiving. You have two choices. Either God did these great wonders alone by his infinite power and wisdom, or Random chance created the creation over time. Listen to the words of this great song. Lord of all creation, of earth, water, water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. God's glorious creation should cause us to give thanks to him and marvel at his wondrous love, his everlasting love, his steadfast love that made these wonders. So we see notes of praise for the creator. Those notes of praise are his steadfast love endures forever. In verses 10 through 22, we see the notes of worship for the deliverer. There's a couple of things about these verses I want you to see. One, God's steadfast love is a specific love. Look at verses 10 through 16. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led these people through the wilderness, his steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love is specific love. Exodus gives us the account again to the Torah. The writer of Psalms goes... He gives us the account of God killing the Egyptians through the plague of the firstborn and then drowning them as they chased after Israel. And then verses 17 through 20, he refers back where he talks about King Sion, King Sion, King Og and all the Pharaoh and all the other great kings. He tells us how Sion refused to let Israel go through the country in Numbers 21. Even after Israel asked permission, King Sion's army, entire army marched against Israel. Israel defeated the Amorites. After this victory, Israel is turning to go on their journey. And King Og of Bashan marched against Israel. And in Numbers 21, it says this, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hand and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left, and they possessed the land. Not only did the kings die, but all of their people. God was a complete, he was complete in his preservation of Israel. They experienced God's judgment while Israel experienced God's judgment. Steadfast love. God's love was upon Israel not because they were big in number, but because of his covenant with their forefathers. God saved Israel because of his sovereign, gracious choice of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has the right to show mercy to whom he declares. In fact, in back in Psalm 135, verse 4, it says this, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. In Romans 9, we see the choices explained where God, Paul talks about the fact that the, the potter can take a lump of clay and make part of it for honor, part of it for dishonor, if he so desires, because he is the potter. And he goes on and says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. So God's steadfast love is a specific love. A second thing, God's steadfast love for his people is secure against all enemies. It's, It's easy to accept and believe God's love, but when it comes to God's righteous judgment, some people have trouble believing that and accepting that. The Bible affirms both God's infinite love and God's righteous judgment. Pharaoh, Sihon, and Og were all very impressive kings. Pharaoh came after the defenseless Israel with his powerful army as they were pinned up against the Red Sea. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 3, for only Og, the king of Bashan, was left on the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. It is not in Rabba of the Amorites. Nine cubits was his length and four cubits in breadth, according to the common cubit. That translates that Og was a giant. He's about 13 and a half feet. The bed was 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide. Now, like you take it from there. You remember when the Israelites went into Canaan to spy out the land? What was part of the report that came back? Yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, but what was the other thing they said? There are, what, giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Let me say this. A giant is no match for God, whose steadfast love endures forever. No one can stand against the strong arm of God. If you've received eternal life through Jesus Christ, you will be kept until eternity rolls around, and all through eternity, there is no end. When people or things are bigger than you and come against you, and your victory, I assure you, is secure in Jesus Christ And in God, because his steadfast love for his people is secure against all enemies. God's love is specific, God's love is secure. But we also see that to appreciate God's steadfast love, you must be brought low. Look at verse 23 of our text. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. Verse 23 tells us that God remembers us in our low estate. This is Israel's condition in bondage. Listen to what the, uh, Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 16. This is his uh, description of Israel. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, were wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood. I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. This is a picture of Israel being found as an abandoned baby with their umbilical cord uncut, squirming in their own blood by the side of the road. God took them up and cleaned them and caused them to live. What a picture of our spiritual condition before God saved us. Dead in our trespasses and sin, without hope, without God. We deserved his wrath, but because of his steadfast love that endures forever, he showed us mercy. In order for you to appreciate God's steadfast love, you must see the depth of sin from which he rescued you. If you believe you were forgiven little, then you're going to love God a little. But when you come to the realization of how much, really how much you were forgiven by God, the glorious creator God, that will bring forth a great love for our great God. Take just a moment and think about what things were like before you became a child of God and after. What did God save you from? Where were you headed? And now, where are you going? The end is so much greater now. So much greater. Israel would have died in slavery if God had not, and his power had not freed them. They definitely would have died in the wilderness if God had not sustained them their adversaries would have destroyed them if he had not rescued them so we see the notes of praise for our creator and notes of worship for our deliverer in verse 25 now we see the notes of thanksgiving to our provider look at verse 25 and he rescue oh, excuse me he gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever verse 25 is an allusion Of the promise of God to Noah after the flood when he says, sustain all flesh. We should be thankful for everything God provides for us. If God takes care of the animals, how much more will he take care of us, his people? We should give thanks for everybody's food we eat and every breath we breathe. Everything we have, we should give thanks to God for it. These are just a few evidences of the steadfast love that God has for us. Think of where you were and where you are today. On May 7th, Roger Sims was hitchhiking his way back home. He had just been discharged from the Army and flashed his hitchhiking sign to a car. And to his amazement, he had almost lost hope. To his amazement, a sleek new Cadillac stopped. Roger entered the car on the passenger side. He noticed the driver was a handsome, well-dressed man who appeared to be in his 50s. The man looked at him and said, going home for keeps? Roger said, sure am. As the two talked, Roger was able to find out the driver's name was Hanover, Mr. Hanover. He owned and operated two bus- uh, a business in Chicago, very successful as that business. The longer Roger talked to Mr. Hanover, the more impressed he felt to witness to him about Jesus Christ. And finally, they were only 30 minutes away from home. And Roger shared the gospel with Mr. Hanover. And to Roger's amazement, the gentleman immediately pulled the Cadillac off to the side of the road, bowed his head, and received Christ. Mr. Hanover thanked Roger and said, This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. After arriving in Chicago, Roger looked up uh, Hanover Enterprises. And this was a few years later, four or five years later. The receptionist, he went into the business. The receptionist told him, so well, you can't see Mr. Hanover, but you can see Mrs. Hanover. So he ushered into the beautiful office. Mrs. Hanover was there, greeted him, extended her hand, said, I understand you knew my husband. Yes, I was hitchhiking home from the war, and he gave me a lift. When was that, Mr. Mrs. Hanover said. It was May 7th, the day I was discharged from the Army, Roger said. Was there anything special about that day, she said. Roger hesitated for a moment. Yes, ma'am. I shared the gospel with Mr. Hanover. He pulled over to the side of the road and leaned over his steering wheel and wept. He gave his heart to Jesus that day. When Mrs. Hanover suddenly began to weep, she wept so hard her whole body shook. When she regained her composure, she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. And where is Mr. Hanover now, Roger said. She looked at him and said, he's dead. He was killed in a car crash right after he dropped you off. He never got home. Barely able to speak through her sobs, Mrs. Hanover said, you see, I thought God had not kept his promise. I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he had not kept his word. Listen. God provides everything we need to accomplish everything he leads us to do because his steadfast love endures forever. God provided, God's steadfast love provided for Mr. Hanover through a soldier that was going home. His steadfast love endures forever. John Piper says it this way, we have been redeemed by thanksgiving. We see the notes of praise to our Creator, the notes of worship to our Deliverer, and notes of thanksgiving to our Provider. But finally, in verse 26, we see the notes of remembrance to our Sustainer. Look at verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the only time in the Bible that the phrase God of heaven is used in Psalms. It occurs nine times in Ezra and only 14 other times in the Old Testament. The New Testament uses it in the book of Revelation, and every time it's used, it points to one thing, God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. He rules from heaven over the which he is made. Giving thanks to God in the midst of trials is not easy, but can only be accomplished when we submit to God's sovereignty. You must admit that he has orchestrated your circumstances ultimately for our good. Sometimes we think God has turned his back on us. Sometimes we're not sure why God permits trials and afflictions to come upon us. But he does it because he wants to prove to us he is a good and loving Heavenly Father in his dealings with us. Grumbling about trials and testing is an indication that we have not fully submitted to the God of heaven. One pastor said this, When we have an attitude of thanksgiving, we cease having a sense of entitlement. Think about that. When we have an attitude of thanksgiving, we cease having a sense of entitlement. The devil wants us to doubt God's everlasting love, God's steadfast love. The message of remembering God's steadfast love is so important that David appointed singers whose job was only this, to repeat, give thanks to the Lord For his steadfast love endures forever. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the newly completed temple, Solomon appointed singers to sing one song, He is good, his steadfast love endures forever. God responded by filling the temple with his glory. And later Jehoshaphat appointed singers to lead the army into battle, singing but one song, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And after Jehoshaphat obeyed the Lord in doing this, the Lord destroyed the enemy coming against Israel. Listen, when you don't have a song of thanksgiving in your heart, we're like someone in captivity. When we are captive, we tend to lose the song in our heart. Many of God's people seem to have lost their song of joy and devotion to their God. The song of the believer has been replaced with the dirge of the world. It's something interesting, just a plain old common mockingbird. Mockingbird is literally called the bird of many tongues. It can have up to 200 different songs in its repertoire, but the mating call of the mockingbird is singular to that one bird. And if the mockingbird loses his personal song, he will fail to Reproduce. The increase of mechanical sounds like cell phones, etc., in our world are disorienting and confusing the mockingbird in many largely populated cities around the country and around the world. It's been reported that many have heard mockingbirds mimicking the sounds of cell phones. One man even reported hearing the mockingbird imitating the cell phone on vibrate. When a believer spends more time with the world than he does with God's people or God's word. He begins to imitate the world instead of praising his Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And when this happens, the believer ceases to reproduce other believers who know the Lord and his wonderful song. His steadfast love endures forever. Look with me at Psalm 137 just just quickly. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willow trees, there we hung our lyres. For there are captives, captors, required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing of one of your songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is a picture of Israel in captivity. In Babylon, they lost their song. The world was teasing them and taunting them. That's what captivity d- did to God's people, and that's what captivity to sin would do to God's people today. Israel is a proud nation, a very proud nation, known for their beautiful songs of worship to their God. But now all that had been reduced to one thing, the taunting and ridicules of the captors, as we see in Psalm one thirty six, has one great lasting melody. His steadfast love endures forever. The verses teach us that God is an active God. God is a loving God. This love is a love that never fails. There was a pastor who had been given a, a rose boutonniere for every year, every day, every Sunday he preached a new one. He put it on his lapel and preached. It was one Sunday morning, a little boy came up to him and pointed at the flower and said, sir, what are you going to do with that flower? He said, well, I'm not sure, but uh, why? What do you want? He said, I'd like to have it. He said, well, why do you want it? He said, I'm going to give it to my granny. You see, my mom and dad divorced last year. I lived with my mom and dad, but she remarried and said I couldn't stay. So I went to live with my dad for a while. That didn't work, so I couldn't stay. So he sent me to live with my grandmother. She's so good to me. She cooks for me. She takes care of me. She has been so good to me. And I wanted to give her a pretty flower for loving me. When the little boy finished, the pastor could hardly speak. His eyes filled with tears. He knew he had been touched by something special. He reached up, unpinned the rose, gave it to the little boy. And with the flower in his hand, he looked up at the boy and said, Son, That's the nicest thing I've ever heard. But you can't just have this one flower. That's not enough. He pointed up to the front of their sanctuary. He says, every week, someone puts a big, beautiful bouquet of flowers up there. Why don't you go get those and take them to your grandma because she deserves the very best. The little boy ran up there, and as he grabbed the flowers, he made one last statement. What a wonderful day. I asked for one flower, but got a beautiful bouquet. That, my friend, is a beautiful, thankful spirit. That's the epitome of the attitude of gratitude. This is the attitude we should have in our lives. Like the boy's granny, God has blessed us so much. God takes care of us every day. God has been so good to us. Giving shouldn't be a question of giving back to God, giving to other people. It should just flow from us naturally. We've asked for so many things in our lives, and yet, in spite of ourselves, God gives us what's best for us. Children at Christmas time ask for toys and other things, and yet, sometimes we give them those things, but a lot of times we give them something they really need. Now, even though the child may not be overjoyed with that, we know as a parent, As the one who really loves them, what they really need, what's best for them. Our Heavenly Father, sometimes He gives us some things we ask for, but you know what? He always gives us what's best for us. We ask for stuff, but you know what God gives us? His steadfast love that endures forever. The world around us is focused on Black Friday, and the fact that Christmas is almost here. Listen, we cannot afford to forget Thanksgiving for the reason of the season of Thanksgiving is this, his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for every provision you've given us. The air we breathe, the food we have. The fact that you deliver us from temptations, from trials and testings. The fact that you will deliver us from captivity to sin. But Father, we give thanks to you because your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we give you thanks Because you are the God of gods and Lord of lords. And your steadfast love endures forever. We sing these notes of praise to you. The notes of thanksgiving to you. Notes of worship to you. Because you are an awesome, glorious, mighty God. We love you and thank you for loving us with your steadfast love. Watching you in your name, we pray.